feeling unsafe inside your organization will deplete not only the person, also the team, and of course, also the organization. My name is Katarina, and I'm the community and event manager at eCulture, a company that is on a mission to shape the world of unbiased hiring. Welcome to the Oops, I'm Biased podcast. Welcome back to the Oops, I'm Biased podcast. On today's episode, I am speaking to Bogdan Manta from the Essential Experts. He is an expert in neuroscience for business, but I am going to let him introduce himself in a few short moments. Today, we will be talking about psychological safety and the role it plays for inclusion and creating inclusive environments. First, we will be talking about a general introduction to psychological safety. What is it and what role does psychological safety play for performance, participation, and what other levels of psychological safety are there for organizations? Then we're going to cover lack of psychological safety, what happens in our brain when we don't feel safe. How does it affect our behavior? Without further ado, I really hope you enjoy this episode. All right. Welcome very much um, to the podcast, Bogdan. I'm very happy to have you today. Thank you so much for having me. We are going to talk about psychological safety today and the role it plays for inclusion and for creating inclusive environments. This is a big topic. I have a long list of questions. I hope we can get through all of them today. If not, we're going to have you back on. I hope you accept our invitation. But first, I would love to ask you uh, if you could give a quick introduction to yourself and how your expertise connects to the topic at hand. My name is Bogdan Manta. I'm a neuroscience for business expert. Uh, I'm part of the Essential Experts. We are a boutique agency that has a very, very specific and different format than uh, what people would expect. By that, we do not disclose who our clients or customers are. You're not going to see them uh, on our website. There's no logo anywhere. That's the first thing. The second thing is that we work only with organizations that respect our values and are aligned with them. Kindness, paying it forward, uh, uh, having fun and always being proactive and transparent. And then the third thing, something that is usually very surprising to people, it is not our clients who choose to work with us. It is us choosing to work with them. So we're very specific when it comes to this, simply because uh, we just want to work with organizations and companies that match our values, and we always want to have fun. Um, why this topic? My background is in behavioral psychology, behavioral economics, and cognitive neuroscience. And I've been part of the corporate world for 20, 25 years. But of course, I'm also involved in research with labs and uh, involved in a lot of different uh, um, um, projects when it comes to uh, neuroscience science and uh, uh, cognitive neuroscience. Great. Thank you so much for that introduction. Uh, this topic actually came to me through my dear colleague, Leonie Grandpierre, our head of science here at Equalture. She, well, she didn't really connect us because we'd already been connected, Bogdan and I are very happy to, to collaborate with you on lots of different things and very happy to have you on the podcast today. Psychological safety to me is quite a big topic in DNI. I think it's sort of the underpinning of um, 
the whole topic at hand, sort of authenticity at work, um, how belonging is created in, in organizations. So it's only fair to have you as the expert to speak on the topic. Could you draft sort of the framework of uh, psychological safety and give us a definition of what it actually means? So before we give a very simple definition, and we want to always keep it very simple, we're going to give a simple definition and a more complex definition. We need to understand that psychological safety is not something new. Some uh, Psychological safety actually has been kind of uh, established in the 19th century, and there is a psychologist which was called William Kahn, who kind of brought that together with, with, with other colleagues, the concept of psychological safety. Um, so basically, it's not new. It's just that now we're giving it much more uh, attention in the in the in the past years especially when we're looking at the covid-19 pandemic and what an impact that had on human beings of course it was already happening before so that's kind of to give a little bit of a background for those who think that it's something new and flashy it is not um that's the first thing second thing what is psychological safety well it's very simple um someone who is feeling safe to speak up right that's what it means to feel psychologically safe, to feel safe to speak up. Now, if we are to look into a more complex uh, uh, term, because there's actually different levels of psychological safety inside an organization, um, it's basically a condition in which people feel, number one, included, and that's how it's linked to the inclusion. They need to feel safe to learn, very important, and we're going to talk about why uh, if you don't feel safe, you do not learn. Then they need to feel safe to contribute, so that already complicates things. And the last thing, which is probably the most difficult to implement, they have to feel safe to challenge the status quo. And all of this without any fear of being reprimanded, without any fear of being embarrassed, of being marginalized or punished or put in a corner in any sort of way. So that's kind of how we look at psychological safety inside an organization. Yeah, um, I mean, need I say more? Um, these different levels that you just uh, spoke about, could we dive a little deeper into those, starting with, um, on the one hand, participation, and then on the other hand, performance? How how do these connect to psychological safety? Well, so... Uh, it is very important to understand that a human being who doesn't feel psychologically safe or to put it simply who feels psychologically unsafe will automatically have challenges in terms of performance of focus uh, they will be prone to human errors uh, creativity is being reduced so we're looking now at an individual now put a group of individuals together and then imagine what impact that would have on the team then let's expand it to uh, an organization and then we can understand the impact that it has on the bottom line because you know we need to speak the language of uh, of that. If it's an organization, then, you know, people will care about the profit very much as well. So it fundamentally impacts negatively the bottom line as a result. Um, you earlier spoke about learning and the connection to psychological safety. Could you ex expand on that a little more, how those two connect? Absolutely. Uh, and we're going to go a little bit into cognitive neuroscience, where we focus on attention, uh, memory, learning, and so on. And uh, very important for everyone who listens or who watches this, I'm going to simplify a lot of very specific uh, processes, cognitive processes, uh, uh, pathways, and so on. And the reason I'm trying to simplify it is because it is a very complex topic. And what I'm always saying, uh, as someone who succeeds to take a very complex topic and to bring it into bite-sized chunks that everyone can understand, comprehend, and actually do something with it, that's kind of what we want to achieve. So uh, uh, um, those who are saying, oh, you skip this step or you skip a specific uh, pathway or a specific uh, uh, neurotransmitter. This is done on purpose because we are not here to showcase, I'm not here to showcase my knowledge. I'm here to try to 
convey messages that everyone can actually comprehend and do something with it. So just to clarify. Now, learning is a very interesting thing. Everyone talks about learning, but the fact that you learn doesn't mean that you can actually do something with it. So we need to look at, at learning. The fact that someone is learning something doesn't mean that they will retain the information. The fact that someone retained the information, which is, by the way, a very small percentage of the actual process of learning, um, the fact that someone retains information doesn't mean that they know how to do something with it. And the fact that someone knows how to do something with a new uh, concept or with, a, with something they just retained doesn't mean that they can do that in a way which is effective, productive, creative, and so on and so forth, that it's, can, and then it's actually beneficial, right? So when we're looking at the process of learning, then there's quite a, there's quite a process there. And the most important thing is that for someone to be in a state of learning, there are some fundamental contexts that need to be, uh, need to be uh, met for someone to actually be able to pay attention, right? And paying attention is exactly that. You need to pay attention. It is a cognitive effort. It takes energy. So for someone to have the focus to actually even want to pay attention, that person needs to be in a state, in a specific state for them to learn. So that's where we go into feeling psychologically unsafe will already limit your capacity, your willingness to pay attention. And if there's no attention, you can forget about everything else because the process of learning starts with paying attention and then keeping that attention sustained. And we're going to specific different topics. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that someone who is feeling psychologically unsafe, and we're going to talk about what we call the sympathetic nervous system or the flight or the fight or flight response. If someone is, is constantly under levels of stress and feels unsafe, then it is very difficult for them to, to, to learn because that continuous state of uh, uh, um, uh, fight or flight will actually have a negative impact on people's capacity to learn because there is a specific hormone, and we're going to talk about it, which as a, a side effect will impact negatively learning, performance, memorization, and so on and so forth. It's a long answer, but there's no other way how to explain it. I mean, if I put myself in that position, if I've ever tried to to study for anything, learn something, remember a way to anywhere and I feel stressed, there's no way that I'm going to remember it two minutes down the line. Um, yes. But let's yes. uh, stick with that um, topic of what happens in the brain. Can you explain a little more of these terms that you just mentioned, the um, way that the nervous system responds to stress. What happens in our brain when we don't feel safe? So what I always say is seeing is believing and feeling is experiencing. It's very difficult to talk about the brain when we don't really know how to talk about the brain. So let's just do this. So here is our lovely brain. So for this part, I'm going to focus only on a specific part of the nervous system, and that is the brain, right? So if we're looking at the brain, how cute is this? I absolutely love to do this. By the way, what you see is the eyes. Most people do not know that the eyes are actually part of the brain. They are the only part of the brain which are outside of our cranial vault. But the eyes are part of the brain. And more than seeing, they have a very specific role when it comes to circadian rhythms, right? And, and interacting with light. And then in, in, in line with that, releasing hormones in a specific time of day. So, but again, we're not going to go that. But if we are to look into the brain, what you see here is what we call the cerebrum, right? And this is where uh, everyone knows the, the prefrontal cortex. And that's where basically cognition, right? The rational thinking and all that happens. But when it comes to what we call the fight or flight response, it has nothing to do with that. Again, I'm going to simplify things for the sake of it. So, well, where does it happen if it doesn't happen here? Well, for that, we're going to have to 
take this away. We're going to take a little bit of the brain out, right? Just for everyone to know what I'm doing. And then we're going to look at what is left. Well, I'm going to look at this structure and I'm going to take the cerebellum out as well, just for the sake of it, because at this point, we're not really focusing on the cerebellum. I'm going to hide this. And now we are left with specific parts some of it you might heard is what we call the, uh, uh, um, the limbic system. You also have the pons here. So now let's dive into what happens here. And I'm going to zoom in. And what you're going to find here are some specific structures, one of them being called this, the pituitary gland. And underneath, just right next to it, it's very difficult to isolate. We would be looking also at another important part, in what happens with the fight or flight response. So basically, to put it very simply, this is kind of where it all starts to be triggered. And the pituitary gland is what we call the HPA axis. The P is the pituitary. Uh, that's where all this fight or flight response happens. So you see, it's very deep inside. Now, I'm not gonna say that it's, it's limited to that because there's an explosion of things, but I just want for everyone to understand why this process, the fight or flight response, is fully subconscious. And it should be because if a lion comes towards you, you do not have time to think about a lion and say, oh, there's a lion behind, uh, uh, coming in front of me. I'm going to decide to fight the lion. No, no, no. What happens is that automated systems will make you run away from danger. And that's what the brain will do to successfully keep you alive. Now, so I just wanted to showcase this. Uh, there's plenty of brains here, by the way. I'm not very happy with this one. This is a bit incomplete. But again, we're focusing on this area. Let's put it like this. Um, so what happens in practice? So let's take it like when someone experiences a very stressful event, the amygdala, uh, the amygdala is just the amygdala, by the way, for those who do not know, there's two parts. The, we call it amygdala, but there's actually two right and left. So the amygdala, which is very much in, uh, involved in emotional processing, it is an area of the brain, which very, very much contributes to this emotional processing sends a distress signal, and it will, send, uh, it will send a distress signal to the hypothalamus. The hypothalamus is very close to where we showcased it. Now, at that point, something very interesting happens because the hypothalamus is a little bit like a relay center, like a command center for the brain. And it communicates very much with the rest of the body through what we call the autonomic nervous system. Autonomic nervous system is what we call fight or flight or rest and digest. Sympathetic nervous system, parasympathetic nervous system. So, the moment uh, it starts to communicate with the uh, uh, autonomic nervous system, basically the autonomic nervous system is controlling the involuntary body functions, uh, a breathing, heartbeat, uh, blood pressure, anything like that. So that's what happens. Now, when the uh, distress signal is being sent by the amygdala to the hypothalamus, then automatically the adrenal glands are involved. The adrenal glands are two little tiny glands which are on top of our kidneys. So this all goes through the nervous system at an insanely fast speed. So that's why, and it's all subconscious, by the way. What happens is that the adrenal glands start to produce and to pump a very important uh, 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 hormone slash neurotransmitter, which you heard as epinephrine or adrenaline. Adrenaline goes into the bloodstream. Bam, at this point, something happens with our body. What does it happen? A lot of psych uh, physiological changes. Um, heartbeat will increase faster than normal. Uh, pulse rate and blood pressure are going up. The person undergoes specific changes, like breathing is more rapidly, uh, there's changes in the digestive system, uh, oxygen, more oxygen is sent to the brain, alertness is happening, right? Sight hearing becomes sharper, right? Uh, closing a visual aperture, focus. Why? Because you need to run away or to fight, either way.
Now, all these all these insane changes are having a, such an incredible uh, 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 pace and speed. We're not even aware of it. Actually, it's so uh, fast processing that uh, even specific centers in the brain are not capable of coping with what is happening, right? And by the way, I'm looking at you uh, right now because I want to see if you're still nodding, if it makes sense or not. Now, what is very interesting now is that this initial surge of adrenaline will start to lower down. And as this initial uh, 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 um, surge of adrenaline or epinephrine lowers down, then the hypothalamus activates the second uh, component of the stress response, as we call it. And that is the HPA axis that I was mentioning earlier. This is the hypothalamus the pituitary gland that we showed earlier, and I'm going to show it again, right? The HPA axis is very much the hypothalamus, which is basically here in the center. Let me turn this around to see how we can make it. Let's look inside the brain. So we're looking now for a dumb up into the brain, right? The, the hypothalamus is there. And again, we're looking at the pituitary gland. That's it, right? That is the P and then uh, into the axis. So hypothalamus pituitary gland and the adrenal glands again. So again, the adrenal glands are being engaged. At that point, a series of hormones start to uh, start to be engaged. We're not gonna go too much in that, but it's like the, the, the gas pedal starts to be pressed down, right? And if the brain continues to receive something just dangerous, the hypothalamus starts to release a specific uh, uh, CRH hormone, and then that goes to the pituitary gland, and then we have the ACTH hormone. Again, it's very complex, but as a result, the stress response is somehow being lowered. Now, at that point, very interesting, the adrenal glands are also releasing a specific hormone, and that hormone is called cortisol. And we all heard about cortisol, and we call it the stress hormone, and many people see cortisol as a negative hormone. But the reality is that we should stop uh, feeling so upset with cortisol. Cortisol is there to help, uh, to help us wake up in the morning. If you don't have cortisol, you wouldn't be able to wake up in the morning. Cortisol is also helping you with all the situation as it slows down, let's put it like this. Why? I'll give you an example. Uh, you are in a fight with a lion or with a bear. I always love to use animals because that's how this uh, uh, stress response has been developed in response to animals, right? If you have been fighting with a lion, the lion crashed you three times and then you succeeded to escape, you escaped, you find a safe place. The moment you found a safe place, you just realize that you're full of blood. If that cortisol wouldn't function together with the adrenaline to keep you, you know, so you protect yourself and cover yourself and cortisol to actually continue to, to keep you into that, then what would happen would be that you would collapse and you would die bleeding out of your injuries. So you see, everything that is done is so perfect. Our body developed this sympathetic nervous system so perfectly well over time. But the fight or flight response is very quick. And then it's supposed to go down to into, to, into the parasympathetic nervous system, which is what we call the rest and digest. A person who is constantly under, or a person who is constantly feeling psychologically unsafe means that they will be in that state of fight or flight for continuous amounts of time. That means that not only they will be in the complete state of agitation continuously, but that also means that cortisol will continue to be deployed 
for a very long time. So then at that point, what happens is that the very system, which is supposed to help us escape dangerous situations, will become dangerous to our own body. Therefore, cortisol being released for a very long time continuously in high quantities will start to actually attack specific parts of our body. Then we start to get sick. Also, it blocks uh, a cognition in a, a, a specific as a specific side effect and so on. I know this is difficult and I'm always trying to explain it as simple as possible and I'm trying to skip, skip some steps. You can't really skip certain steps because then, you know, you're not really explaining it well. But this is exactly what happens. So keep someone psychologically unsafe, under stress, under fear, under whatever for period, expand, uh, period long periods of time. Not only would the person get sick, have a burnout, uh, feel demotivated, not be able to think, but the person will start to make mistakes. There will be human error. It will cloud their judgment. They will not be able to contribute. They will not be able to be proactive. They will not be able to be productive. They will not be able to focus. They will not be able to collaborate because you do not collaborate when you are in a state of fight or flight. You just want to escape or fight or, you know, or freeze. So to put it very simply, this is what a toxic environment is doing to a human being inside the organization or at home. This can be in a relationship with family and so on and so forth. And this is why feeling unsafe inside your organization will deplete not only the person, also the team, and of course, also the organization. Yeah. Wow. Um, I think that's why initially I mentioned um, psychological safety is so much to do with DNI because you cannot have a diverse, inclusive, equitable work environment if you can't create or establish psychological safety is that an, a just assessment of the situation yes yes and that's why for example psychological safety inside an organization has to be an explicit priority i cannot tell you and those of us, those uh, those who are listening and are watching and they know me very well they know that i'm a very honest transparent and direct person and i do not have mercy for anything and anyone i will praise and i will encourage till the end of time but i will also say things as they are i try not to really criticize because i don't think that it brings anything to anyone but i will be very honest about specific topics and very often what we see is that a lot of DEI professionals are actually creating a psychologically unsafe environment through how uh, through their passion and also because they only focus very often only on a specific part of DEI. They ignore the rest of the people inside the organization who end up feeling psychologically unsafe as a result, or there is so much pressure on DEI that that actually creates a psychologically unsafe environment for people who no longer feel free to make mistakes or to speak up because what if I make a mistake and this person is offended or that is not... So you see, it's a very interesting thing. We need to first and foremost make psychological safety inside the organization an explicit priority. And that goes across all levels and all functions. Yeah. You mentioned that example of the lion and what what have you be a wild animal approaching you and, and that triggering that response. Can you give a few other examples of instances or situations that can trigger a breakdown of psychological safety in work environments? Um, there can be a million reasons. Uh, you are being gaslit. You are being ignored all the time to the point where your manager or your colleagues will make you feel, will make you lose trust in yourself. If you're constantly being told that this is not good, this is not good, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad, at one point you will end up believing it. And that's a, 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 an awful thing to do to a human being. 
someone who is not in any way appreciated, but constantly constrained or constantly being pushed to do things uh, um, at a very high pace. A very very fast uh, uh, working environment can be fun, but if um, there's a lot of uh, pressure on it, uh, then that's a problem. The pressure of always performing can also have a negative impact when it comes to uh, feeling psychologically unsafe. Um, Very important, not being allowed to fail. I think this is one of the biggest problems that we see nowadays, not being allowed to fail inside an organization. Well, everyone uh, um, who is uh, listening to this, if you do not allow and encourage your employees, your colleagues to fail, how do you want them to grow and develop? The human brain will only develop, well, one of the primary functions of the brain is to address errors overnight, to change that, address that, and then to for the person to develop. Let's put it like this, right? What we call plasticity or the response of the brain in, in rapport with uh, experience. But if you do not make mistakes and you do not fail, how am I going to address that? How am I going to learn from it? How am I going to change it? How am I going to become a better professional? So it's unbelievable. More and more I hear organizations that do not allow their employees to fail. We need for that to happen. We need to encourage failure as part of creating a psychologically safe environment. So this is just a a few examples. There's the pressure to perform. There's the pressure to please people. There's so many things that we can add on top. There can be uh, toxicity in the teams. Uh, There can be bad management. I mean, how much time do we have to talk about bad management, bad leadership, and and, and all of that? There can even be the the, the fear of commuting, right? Even that can feel psychologically unsafe. If someone, and that happened to a lot of people after the pandemic, that it took a lot of time for them to readjust to uh, the reality by commuting again. Now, Kat, I'm going to give you another thing, and you're going to absolutely love this. There was a very interesting uh, uh, research uh, uh, experiment that we conducted right after the pandemic when professionals were returning to the office. And we noticed that they were a lot uh, more anxious than normally. And leaving aside the fact that there was uh, dealing with social distancing and all that, what we realized and what was very interesting, because like I said, we're looking into everything, was the fact, are you ready for this? Are you curious? Okay. So during the pandemic, people no longer wore shoes or business shoes. So as a result, their feet flattened out a little bit. They expanded a little bit. And then they had to go back to the office. They took the shoes that they were wearing in 2019. They're stuck their enlarged feet. Sounds weird, but they, they stuck their enlarged feet in those shoes. And then they went to work to wear those shoes for like eight to 10 hours, including commuting. Now, I'm asking everyone to think how they feel when they have two tight shoes, the pain and the anxiety that comes out of that. Imagine you do that for 10 hours and you're not even aware. Of course, everyone is anxious. So when we're looking at at, at, at uh, uh, someone, you know, f- being too much aroused or alert or um, anxious and so on, even their shoes for a longer period of time can have an impact on how they perform at work. How crazy is that? Very, very interesting to to make that connection. Then it's, a, I, I imagine, an aha moment for people to realize that their shoes uh, cause them to to be anxious. Your examples that you were giving were really enlightening. I think it's really nice to see sort of the long term effect that little actions repeatedly can have. Um, can 
can there be also situations or instances where it's just one one incident um, that triggers a, a breakdown of psychological safety, or is psychological safety more so established and and looked at in a in a long term uh, way? So the answer is it depends. First of all, it is very personal to each individual, and then it can affect the group, then it can affect the team, and so on. I mean, you can feel psychologically unsafe for a period of time. Let's say that you have a project and the deliverables are crazy. That's fine for a while. You can deal with that. It's actually even interesting, right? It's Sorry, it's even recommended. Sometimes people will put themselves through a high risk, high pressure, uh, because that impact will also take them to the next level. By the way, for the process of learning to happen, Another thing that a lot of people do not know, uh, learning has to be unshackling, shaking. It needs to wake you up. Learning, which is just like, "Mm, I'm learning right now. There's no retention because you need a couple of neurotransmitters there in the process of learning. One being norepinephrine. Norepinephrine makes you anxious, right? Epinephrine or adrenaline that we spoke about. It needs to be unshackling. Uh, there's acetylcholine, which uh, helps you focus. Uh, of course, there's all the dopamine that, that is that is needed. So there's so many different neuromodulators that are involved in this process that sometimes we do need a little bit of you know waking people up and so on. But what we're referring to is prolonged periods of times, right? If someone feels a little bit anxious one day and has some emotions around that, it's okay because those emotions are short-lived. But if that becomes a fact, so if actually uh, in, in learning with the context uh, in the organization, that becomes more of a mood, a fear, of anxiety, of feeling unsafe, and then it becomes a feeling of, I hate to go to work, I am terrified to go to work, and that becomes a feeling, right? Because we have emotions, affect, or mood, and then feelings, the way they develop from subconscious to very conscious and short term to very long lasting, then indeed, that can have absolutely an, uh, an, an impact. And like I said, I'm not saying that people should always be happy at work. By the way, there is research where if people are always happy at work, then they no longer perform because people being for long long periods of time happy, at one point, intrinsic motivation and intrinsic motivation are no longer there, right? I'm not saying stress people out. What I'm saying is that, you know, there is a symphony of moods and and situation. But again, two prolonged periods, A, uh, of uh, uh, um, someone feeling psychologically unsafe will have the results that we were talking about. Yeah, those ebbs and flows, sort of a two two sides of the same coin of the 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 stress and the sort of being stimulated in that way can can lead to high performance, but it can also lead to a breakdown thereof. Correct, because I mean, someone can be anxious. Uh, but anxiety comes and goes, right? Anxiety is very short lived. When someone is stressed, that that's another thing, by the way, most of us do not understand the difference between anxiety and stress. We can have anxiety without stress, but we cannot have stress without anxiety. So first is the anxiety. And then if it's for a long time and prolonged, then stress starts to happen as a result. And everyone keeps on saying, I'm stressed, I'm stressed, I'm stressed all the time. You're not stressed, you're anxious, right? And then anxiety can be about something that is about to happen or the adversity, woulda, coulda, shoulda, or the event, which is already happening. And then the way we respond to anxiety is different. Um, anxiety for people is very different. It's very personal. And then next to anxiety and someone feeling stressed, there's also, and I'm going to pause here, there's also suffering. The fact that someone is stressed, if sometimes they suffer, that is a choice. 
So it's the same thing as pain and suffering. You know, you can have pain and you cannot do anything about it. But if you decide to suffer as a result from it, that is much more of your own uh, uh, predicament and it's much more your own decision and conclusion out of it. And again, I'm, I'm not keeping it very, uh, uh, it's not zero 100, but there's a lot of context there. But that's what I'm saying. It's, it's very important to understand specific things of anxiety, stress, how they happen, and especially long periods of uh, anxiety or long periods of stress and what happens to a, to, to, to a group of people, organization and so on. Yeah, um, thank you so much for also making that connection between stress, anxiety and psychological safety because I think to have a conversation of psychological safety you need to include those topics as well and I think at least the way I've perceived the, the conversation about it as someone who really doesn't have any background in it is very much separate. Psychological safety is as this lofty term that no one can really put their finger on and then stress and anxiety being an issue of well you can't deal with the workload so here you are or you're sort of in a toxic environment and and what can you do other than leave um so it's really yeah. good for us to, to have created that connection between those two 